Tyler's message is, which road have you taken? In 1920, Robert Frost, in a collection of poems entitled Mountain Interval, wrote this poem. You've heard it, I'm sure, seen it in different places. It's called The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I'm sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way. I doubt if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So we look at this path, and we see this poem, and it pictures a traveler. He has a choice on which road to take, and you and I, traveling on this earth, are faced with two roads to follow. Every day when we get up in the morning, we are faced with choices, and we have to decide this. Am I going to follow God today, which is the first road, which, which I would call me first attitude? It's the road that you make the decisions, you do what you want when you want, and kind of the, it's, it's one that is fed by the old nature in which we have within us, as Paul has been talking about these past few weeks about the carnal nature. And then that second road is Jesus Christ Boulevard. We, we have this offer from Christ to follow his road, and we've all got a choice to make. Paul had a problem with the Corinthians. He had realized that it wasn't a perfect church. As there are no perfect churches because people are involved, actually. He'd been 18 months with him, poured his life into him, and so he goes out to plant more churches, and he gets the word that they had gotten off Jesus Christ Boulevard and took a shortcut and went back to me first attitude, and it was causing problems. There was massive sin and corruption within the body of Christ, within the church. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 21, we read his words of instruction. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's secrets. Nothing more, nothing less. Do not attribute anything to us that's not there. We're just servants. Now, a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. What about me? Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that isn't what matters. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So be careful not to jump to conclusions about the Lord's return as to whether or not someone is faithful. When the Lord comes, he will bring our deepest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. And then God will give to everyone whatever praise is due. Dear brothers and sisters, I have urged Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to the scriptures, you won't brag about one of your leaders at the expense of the other. Another. What makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if you all, if you, all you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? I think this is interesting here, starting with verse 8. Paul, Paul seems a little sarcastic. You think you already have everything you need? You're already rich. Without us, you have become kings. I wish you really were on your thrones already, for then we would be reigning with you. But sometimes I think God has put us apostles on display. 
like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are powerful. You are well thought of, but we are laughed at. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty without enough clothes to keep us warm. We have endured many beatings, and we have no homes of our own. We have worked wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We respond gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash right up to the present moment. I'm not writing these things to shame you, but to warm you as my beloved children. For even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I ask you to follow my example and do as I do. That is the very reason I am sending Timothy to help you do this. For he is my beloved and trustworthy child in the Lord. He will remind you of what I teach about Christ Jesus in all the churches wherever I go. I know that some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will never visit you again. But I will come and soon, if the Lord will let me, and then I'll find out whether these arrogant people are just big talkers or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk, it is the living by God's power. Why do you choose? Which do you choose? Should I come with punishment and scolding, or should I come with quiet love and gentleness? The Corinthians are like you and I. They have had, have, and had issues in, as they deal in life. And Paul knew that they were boasting about how smart they were and about their philosophy. And the, the problem was the knowledge was in the head and, and not in the heart. Verse 20 in chapter 4, Paul pretty much is the crux of the matter. For the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk. It is living by God's power. It's not just talking about it. It's, it's not going through the motions, but it's actually living. That's what he's trying to say. He says... He says he tells them they're living in a kingdom of their own imagination. They were so proud that they had imagined that they had all the answers to life. Verse 7 and 8 again, what makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? You think you already have everything you need. You're already rich. Without us, you... Have become kings. I wish you really were on your thrones already, for then we would be reigning with you. Paul, in that sarcasm, he calls them kings. And then he says in verse 18, I know that some of you have become arrogant. They were full of pride, and they thought that they had become the most wonderful spiritual church in the world. And that's what they were saying, just look at us, look who we are in Christ, but they wasn't living it. Actually, they, they were destitute of the Holy Spirit's power. They had gotten back on me first attitude, and they were heading the wrong direction. They had taken Christ off the throne and put themselves there, actually. Pride is the undoing of the Christian faith. It often breeds overconfidence in our lives and keeps us from focusing what we need to be focusing on, which is Christ. Mark 2.17, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I think it's interesting as you study that text, the word for sick there is nosia, and it's sick in the mind. I have come for those who are sick in the mind, actually. Polly, this bull has killed me. So said Jose Cubero, one of Spain's most brilliant matadors before he lost 
consciousness and died. He had stuck that bull with so many swords that it was bleeding out, and he, he thought it was dead. So when he plunged that final sword into that bull's heart, it fell to its knees, and he walked away from the bull, and he was gaining all the praise for winning that bullfight. When that bull got back up on its knees and charged him, punctured through his back and speared his heart and killed him on the spot. I think when we're like that too when we think that we have pride killed off. It comes back to bite us. I think the only place that we'll be outside of pride is, is the grave, actually. Former heavyweight boxer James Quick Tillis is a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought in Chicago in the early 80s. And he recalls, he said, I got off the bus downtown Chicago with two suitcases. I walked up to the Sears Tower, set those suitcases down, and said, I am going to conquer Chicago. And when he went to pick the suitcases up, they were gone. <laughs> Ronald Reagan, recalling an occasion when he was governor of California, made this speech in Mexico City. And here he says, and I quote, after I finished speaking, I sat down to rather unenthusiastic applause, and I was a little embarrassed. The speaker who followed me spoke in Spanish, which I didn't understand, and he was being applauded about every paragraph. To hide my embarrassment, I started clapping before everyone else and longer than anyone else until our ambassador leaned over and said, I wouldn't do that if I were you. He's just interpreting your speech. A young woman asked for an appointment with her pastor to talk with him about a besetting sin that she was really having a problem with, and she was really worried about it. When she saw him, she said, Pastor, I have become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. Every time I am at church, I begin to look around at the other women, and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare with my beauty. What can I do about this sin? The pastor replied, Mary, that's not a sin. That's just a mistake. It's funny, we, we, do, we don't think we have pride, and you've heard people say it's a, it's a dangerous thing because it takes us away from Christ, actually. It takes us away from seeing Him, who He really are, is, and see who we are in Him. When we say, I'm, a, I'm the least prideful person I know, it, it's, we laugh at that, but often uh, it's talking about us. Here's four dangerous symptoms of pride, so you can kind of check yourself this morning. The first one is fault-finding. Pride can often cause us to filter out the sin in our lives. It can also cause us to pinpoint the sin in others. It, it's a common practice. We take that off of ourselves and we look at how bad these people are. It's like when Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5, he tells us to don't be worried about a little splinter in our neighbor's eye where we got this huge oak tree sticking out of ours. If we are constantly focusing on the sin of others, it can be evidence of pride in our life. And it's a lot of times when we need to stop and examine ourselves and, and look in the mirror. The second symptom is a harsh spirit. It often accompanies fault-finding. From our high and mighty seat, it's easy for us to look down on those that are struggling and put the spotlight on them. And this is not bred out of humility or connection without our brokenness. It comes from a place of arrogance. Jonathan Edwards writes in an article about pride, Christians who are but fellow worms ought at least to treat one another with as much humility and gentleness as Christ treats them. Third symptom, a superficial heart. When pride is the ruler of our life, 
Others' perception becomes really important to us. It, it's really important of what people say about us. And a lot of times that, that takes over everything else in our lives. And it's the same way with, with the things that we have accomplished maybe as, as believers. We, we want to do the visible things in life so people will think we're holy, but yet inside and in secret we're not. We don't worry about those sins. Bill Hybels wrote a book entitled, Who Are You When No One's Looking? You know what, guys? I think that is when our character shines out the most is when we're totally alone. When we can do, when we can say things that nobody else will know. But I think one of the things we miss that God knows, and that's the point. I think it's easier out in public or in church to be good. People's watching you, so you want to give out that aura that you are such a great person and you've got these things conquered in your life. But I think the most, we're most Christ-like when we're by ourselves almost to a degree, if that makes any sense. Jesus is not concerned with our outward appearance. He is not impressed by how many bumper stickers we got or even how big our Bible is. He's concerned with our hearts because he always sees them 24-7, and he will the rest of our lives. We can fool each other, but we can't fool God. When pride lives in our hearts, we are far more concerned with others' perception of us than the real reality, actually. The last one's defensiveness. Those who stand in the strength of Christ's righteousness alone find a confident hiding place from the attacks of men and Satan alike. That is true humility. We continue in doing good and trusting the soul to our faithful creator. Again, Jonathan Edwards writes, For the humble Christian, the more the world is against him, the more silent and still he will be unless he is in his prayer closet, and there he will not sit still. Paul was trying to convince the Corinthians to get back off me, First Avenue, to Jesus Christ Boulevard. That's the road that he had traveled on, actually. And he always brings him back to the message of the cross in all its fullness. And as we talked about last week, he always reminded them that, that you, are God's, you are God's house. That's where the Holy Spirit lives. That's where God lives on this earth is in you. And you have built your foundation upon Christ, the solid rock, and you need, to be, you need to be building on that because one day we'll stand before him and he expects a harvest in our life. He, he was trying to bring the Corinthians back to that and to remind them that the, the light of Christ shone through them in a steady beam, and they were supposed to keep those mirrors clean to be able to reflect that. Most of all, they were God's own purchased possession, and that's the road he himself had chose to walk. Christ's boulevard leads to a life of purpose and fullness, ending in eternal life in the destination and the glories of heaven forever. Two roads are offered to each of us, and we have to choose which one that we will travel. I think the problem is we want them to go along side by side and so we can step off one on the other all the time. We can go from one road to the next, but it's not supposed to work like that. When we choose self-life, we do what we want when we want, and it doesn't matter who it hurts. Really, sometimes we don't think about the consequences till they come home, and then we wish we hadn't have done those things. The self-life seeks after intellectual entertainment and wins the applause of men, but ends in corruption, failure, and defeat. 
One of the things about being a follower of Christ in this day and age, people will say that we are deranged, that we are old-fashioned, that we are out of touch with reality. The Word of God offends people, always have, always will. And so you and I have to decide if we do really believe that this is the truth and if that truth is relevant enough for us to pattern our lives and live and stand upon it. And that's, it's totally up to you. It, it, it's your choice. If we choose to travel Jesus Christ Boulevard, we have to make a conscious, deliberate decision that we have to die to self and we have to listen to the Holy Spirit's direction 24-7. We sometimes bite off chunks of life that are really difficult for us. Living like Christ wants us to live will be the most difficult thing you do on this earth. I don't like to blow smoke. I don't like to paint some picture that's not real. It, it, it's a stark reality. If you and I do what God wants us to do every day of our life, it'll be the most difficult thing that you do in life. But it's the most blessed. <laughs> and, and you feel God's blessing and you feel total peace in your life and you don't, you don't worry as much. And it, it, It's just an amazing thing. But, but this is one of the things that we have to decide to do if we're going to do it in our life. And we have to be totally open to accountability. If somebody see you messing up, they come put their arm around and say, hey, you probably shouldn't be going this direction. And we have to be concerned with what God thinks and not what people think. And that is huge, is it not? We're, we're concerned what people think of us. It's how come we just don't get up in the morning and don't brush our teeth or comb our hair or take off our jammy pants. Can you imagine what this place would look like and smell like if we always did that? <laughs> but we don't. We, got, we, we want to be presentable. But the thing is, what's most important is that we're presentable to God. Verse 3 and 4, Paul says, what about me? He's putting himself in the spotlight. Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this. My confidence is clear. But isn't that what matters? It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. You can think what you want about me. There's an old Apache saying that says that. You can think what you want about me, but you have to live with your thoughts. We care about what people think, but it shouldn't be that deep. But Paul says... It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. It's what God thinks of me. On Judgment Day, it, it's irrelevant what you thought of me or think of me. But what's important is what God thinks of you. Jesus Christ Boulevard is not an easy road. It's traveled at great cost to the traveler. Paul's words is talking about some of this cost. But sometimes I think God has put us apostles on display like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. He's pouring his heart out here. I, that's one of the things I like about Scripture. It's honest. He didn't pull any punches. He could have said other things and took another direction, but he's coming straight from his heart because he wants the world, he wants these people in Corinth to know what, how, how he sees it, as well as the Holy Spirit works through his life. 
Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you are so wise. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are well thought of, but we are laughed at. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty without enough clothes to keep us warm. We have endured many beatings, and we have no homes of our own. We have worked wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. I think the problem is we want to travel Jesus Christ Boulevard without any cost to us, without any pain, without any suffering, without any sacrifice. We do not like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like pain. I have a headache or back hurts, whatever, get Tylenol, whatever. And then if it's extreme, if you've had surgery and uh, you've come home, um, you maybe have some opioids or something, and that helps ease that pain. When we follow Christ, there are some pain in our life that only he can handle, but a lot of times we don't even want to think about because we don't want that pain. We might even want a middle of the road where on occasion we can do what we want and maybe get a little muddy sometimes, or maybe we, 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 we want the spotlight. We want it shining directly on us. We want praise and popularity. We be in the limelight for a while. But yet all this time we greatly desire God's full protection and great blessing. We want the full anointing of the Holy Spirit and the full authority of God. But the bottom line, we want power without the cost. And some of us are not willing to pay the price. The cost is way too much. We always think about what breaks our hearts. And you know what breaks a preacher's heart? When you get close to somebody and they, they have come out of, of life and, and came and, and got on this, this road, this Jesus Christ Boulevard with you. And so you love them and you pour your life and you are overjoyed that they have made that decision to go to heaven instead of go to hell. They've made it. They've, they've come in and you become close to them and you, you pour your life into them. And you're on this road together. And something makes them mad or they get upset. And they're done. They switch roads immediately and you don't ever see them again. I don't get that. If you could explain that to me, I would really appreciate it. Because all the people that we bring along with us, that we try to, to get them on this path with us to Christ, and then they turn their back and they walk away, I, I, it's, a, it's, it's a strange phenomena to me. But I think it comes down to this. The cost is too much. I want to do what I want when I want. I, 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 want, I want to feel what I want to feel. I want to do and on and on. And I am not willing to let God fool with that. I want me to be in charge. I want this universe to revolve completely around me. And I don't want any interference. You know what? That, I've been with a lot of people that on their deathbed, that is not the attitude that they have at that time. So Paul has to say goodbye to some of us and go on ahead because for him, traveling Jesus Christ Boulevard meant to walk 
in the exact footsteps of Jesus. Everything that Paul faced, Jesus had faced before. Everything that Paul had went through, Christ had gone through it before, only more. He endured to the very end, to the last drop of his blood on the cross outside of Jerusalem to redeem man from his boasting and confidence from his self-importance and human pride. Paul, who now lives in the glories of heaven, would agree with Robert Frost's last two lines of this poem wholeheartedly. I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Which road have you chosen to take? I think from time to time we need to check our spiritual GPS. A lot of people are on me for me First Avenue. That's, that's what they've chose. That's the road that they want to go. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and wide is the road that leads to destruction. If you travel that long enough without Christ, it ends up in a place called hell, which is just as real as this stool that I'm sitting on. It's something we don't talk about a lot. It's something that a lot of people have eradicated out of their mindset that there is no such thing as hell. It's real. It, you can't have heaven without hell, that it's there, and it's reserved for those who reject Christ. That, that's the bottom line. People go to heaven because they believe in Jesus, and they go to hell because they don't. Yeah, that's simple to me to understand, but that, that's, that's the reality of it. And those of you that have, many of us as we get older, we, we, we have been in pain. You know, I mentioned John Ray. He's been in a lot of pain in his life with these legs. A lot of you are in pain, and we take sometimes drugs and medicine to take care of that. I can't imagine being in a place that the, play, the, the pain is so intensified that it's off the chart, and it's forever, and it never stops. It, it's a constant. So people will be in this torment forever, and it will be totally their choice. And when they stand at the God's great white throne judgment, and he's looking through the book of life, hey, I can't find your name. Into the bottomless pit. That, that's, that's where that road ends up if you follow it long enough. And at Jesus Christ Boulevard, it leads to life in a place that we can't fathom in, in our minds what heaven is like. But each has a destination. Verse 20, Paul says, you have to choose. For the kingdom of God is not just fancy talk. It is living by God's power. Which do you choose? So that's up to us, folks. In the morning, when you get up, you get dressed, you've got a choice. You can serve yourself or serve Christ that day, and it's, it's, it's totally up to you. It's not up to anybody else. God blesses us for that, and eventually that road will come to an end. And that's what death does for us. It brings in reality. You and I can rationalize and rationalize and rationalize. I had a graveside this week, and I stood there by that casket, and that, that was in my mind. There is no way I can make this go away. This person that has moved on, he is dead. He has left this earth. And all that's left in that box is his carcass. The real him's gone. It's somewhere else. And we, can't, we can't rationalize that. We, we are infamous for rationalizing stuff away in our life. We do that with sin. 
But you can't do that. And, and what I'm talking about this morning, you can't rationalize that away. And even now as I speak in this life, and where you sit, you're on one road or the other. And it's up to, your, it's up to you which, choose, which one you choose to walk. But you know each one has a destination. Lord, we love you, and I just thank you for loving us. And Father, it's imperative that we're honest with you this morning. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that as you speak to each one of our hearts, that we're just honest. That's all I ever ask is this, we're honest. Life's hard, and I realize it. Following you is hard, and I realize that. It was sure worth the cost, Lord. It's sure worth the cost knowing I'm your kid and knowing I'm never alone. And if you give me a future and a hope and a purpose in life, and you've helped me love people in such an unconditional way, and I thank you for that. Thank you for my friends here who I love, Lord, with all my heart. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as you deal with us now that we may check our spiritual GPS to see where we're at. And if we're not where we need to be, that we might do that by just asking you to forgive us and get us back on the right path. Thanks again for loving us. We give you praise and glory, Father. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, we sure invite him to come. We ask these things in the name of Christ.